And welcome to another episode of Tormageddon. I'm your host, Oscar, and I'm here with my man, Kenny. And we have a special guest today. And Kenny, if you would like to go ahead and uh, do the introduction. Yeah, we have the illustrious, the talented, the suave, Ryan Oaks. Oaks. Glad to be here, gents. Yeah, thank you for coming out. Yeah, man. Uh, I literally just texted Brian. We we were trying to figure out, we knew we needed to get some more episodes in the can. And I was like, who do I know locally that... Uh, I would actually enjoy talking to. So I just texted Brian. I was like, can you be here next week? <laughs> Perfect. So here yeah. we are. Yeah, right on. And uh, for those of you that don't know who uh, who Brian Oaks is and what Brian Oaks does, can you give us a little background on exactly what it is that you do? Yeah, well, I play guitar. <laughs> I like guitars a lot. Um, yeah, I've been moved- to his house. He does. He likes guitars yeah, a lot. Yeah, I love guitars, yeah. No, so I moved in here in uh, 2007 to play play guitar. Uh, so that's the, that's a real quick version, but where, where did that start from for you? Cause that's career wise. That's what, not where you started, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, I come from, so I'm born and raised in Seattle. I uh, moved here in 2007. Like I said, um, you know, uh, we owned a home in Seattle and had a recording studio in it that I ran with a, with a buddy of mine. And, uh, and so, you know, I was, had played guitar since I was probably in junior high. Um, but um, I started my career early on, basically in sales. I graduated with a basically a you know physiology degree from Seattle Pacific. Uh, was in analytical, worked for a lab for a while, hated it. You know, running an instrument, you know, looking for <laughs> minerals and you know periodic table elements and water and soil and stuff. And so then I got into sales, and I went. In, I was in analytical chemistry sales for a bit, and then moved into genetics and biotechnology sales. So I was—he's literally probably the smartest guitarist yeah. I've ever met. I was. Uh, that's what it sounds like. I like that. <laughs> it's sales. I, I, I knew some stuff, you know. And so I worked for a company early on that had a system that discovered the BRCA1 gene, which is the breast cancer gene. Okay. Oh. And so, um, but I was I was traveling a tremendous amount, like like I don't whether that change in music or whatever, but. Um, and so, and then that's when early stage internet in Seattle was starting to, to, to get out. And so I found a recruiter that was believed in what we call transferable sales skills. If you can sell one thing well yeah. and understand how to mm-hmm. people relationships, you know, I could sell genetics or I could sell Freightliner uh, engines. It doesn't matter. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he got me a job at a company called Sprynet, which is like one of the first internet browsers out there. And then I was there for like two weeks and they sold it to Earthlink. So for the next three months, I was just told, "Hey, if you just if you play golf, just make sure you have your cell phone." Which and cell phones back then, right, it was different. So yeah, <laughs> were you carrying one of those suitcases around? Yeah, case? yeah, I had one of those. Yeah, <laughs> as well early on. But um, so then I I ended up working for an internet startup, and so I was part of that whole uh, internet 1.0. Like you know, yeah, when we yeah. sold Union Street um, in Seattle, uh, one of our founders um, uh, who now owns a company called The Wrench out there now you can go out on the ranch is my friend ed peterson the ceo there and we can find somebody to come to your house and fix your car right okay mm. and so ed was the president of that car and uh of, of, of that company i remember when we sold ed went out and bought a ferrari right <laughs> you know and it was that whole generation of just a tremendous amount of money really smart people ed was really smart um and then uh when that all ended i ended up getting into telecom and Worked for Alcatel out of Texas, a French telecommunications company that was then Alcatel Lucent. Now it's Nokia. So I spent 20 years in, you know, building out networks for T-Mobile and AT&T on the sales side. So I sold the infrastructure to help build out 
the 3G and the, the 4G networks. Uh, and that led me up till 2007 where uh, I was just like, well, you know, as forums started coming out on the Internet, I was – I forgot what forum uh, – I think the forum was Huge Racks, Inc., which was actually a guitar rack <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something else. <laughs> and uh, I got to be friends with Michael Britt at Lone Star, and I ended up playing for Lone Star for a very short period of time. Um, and Mike was like, hey, we're doing a tour down in, you know, California. You should come down and ride the bus and hang out. And I had this amazing boss then, she, and she was – and I was still at Alcatel, and she was like, hey, just have fun. Just – take some time and just go and have some fun. So I got off that tour and I was like, Hey man, I, I think I could do this. I, I can play this, you know? Um, little did you know when you, you, when you think you can play guitar and then you move to this town and, and like, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a uh, humbling. Experience. It, it's, it's super humbling. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we, uh, we sold the house. We were lucky. Got good enough for the house and sold here to Nashville, moved to spring Hill. And that was 2007. Wow. When when did you when were you playing with uh, Lone Star? Were you were you with them like in eleven? Um, yeah, it somewhere around then. I I know that what happened with that was is that um, when when they when Richie left Lone Star and Cody, I forgot Cody's last name came on as the as replacement for Richie. I came out and played then and then. You know, uh, it wasn't very long until I auditioned for the Danny Goki gig. Okay. And, and I did that and left Lone Star. And in hindsight, um, I just should have stayed with Lone Star. Did you, um, were you a part of, uh, I'm trying to, I'm starting to think that we might have met earlier than we realized. I, um, I, I don't think so. It was the Point of Grace Mark Schultz tour. That was 2009. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure because you were LD, you were LD on that gig. And I'm pretty sure that that's where I met you. Yeah, well, so I did some stuff with Lone Star like in '11, but I guess if we we were in '09, that would have been it. Yeah, no, because we were on, we were on one bus, and their bus yeah. at that point in time was parked out at their bus barn. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I, yeah. I think it, it probably was then. Yeah, but I mean, because that was my first tour, so that was my first big tour. The Point of Grace. I mean, I had done a bunch of stuff in Nashville, you know, but nothing where it was like, hey, this is legitimate. We did three runs, you know, three different tours on that around the United States. And uh, and I got that gig uh, through Mark Childers, who's Carrie's MD, Carrie mm-hmm. Underwood's MD. And yep. Mark kind of gave me my break as far as getting me into, you know, that touring gig, which was like, I still look back on that and just think that was just a really fun, that was a really fun tour. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny when you kind of, when you see all these, you were talking about this earlier, kind of just all these paths that you end up, you know, one path diverges and how you end up in all these different places Yeah, and just seeing some of the kind of choices that you make, you know, and how you end up where you end up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a lot, lot of it was relationships down and, um, my friend Sean, who was with guitar player with Sherry, uh, with Carrie for a long time, introduced me to Mark. And then Mark was Dana Capolino, you know, Lee's husband with the girls and had coffee with him. It was a good, felt like it was a good fit. And, and then I, you know, and I ended up playing for Mark Schultz as his MD, or Mark doesn't do a lot of band stuff anymore for, you know, 10, yeah. 10 plus years. Yeah. What, you know, we don't play that much anymore, but he's still out doing, doing great stuff. But yeah. I miss Mark. Yeah. I, I still get a picture every Christmas 
from that Christmas tour we did where I was wearing a Santa outfit. I ran, like every Christmas I get a text from Mark and with, it's just with, with the Santa. It's just me in this picture that's at this point like ten or eleven years old of me in a Santa costume. Yeah. <laughs> every year like clockwork I get it from him. Yeah. Every Christmas. He's he's uh they moved back to North Carolina, I think. Okay. So he's not in Nashville anymore. All right. Yeah. Well, so now you're here. Yeah. Now you're playing guitar. Yep, still playing guitar. Still uh, love guitars. What uh, you got questions? If I start getting off the, off the rails, no, you, no, you no. can reel me in. But I'm just kind of no. You're good, man. Um, when during this whole transition period, you know, you, so you decided to move here. Was this kind of like a a leap? Like I'm gonna do this. I don't really have a backup plan. What was your, what was kind of your thought process when you did that? Well, I mean, I think that my move here was pretty calculated, right? I'm I'm a pretty calculated person. I like to know where my bills are going to be taken care of, and you know where they're coming from, and and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, I had you know I had saved up some money, and you know, coming from the Seattle market, we had money coming in here to to you know to have a little bit in savings. Right? It wasn't such a like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what to do with my wife and two kids if, if we can't make a bill. So, you know, I mean, I moved here and I was 37, I'll be 55 this year. And so I remember, you know, Ronnie Brookshire, who's a good friend, but an amazing engineer, did it like, was really big on a lot of the 80s and 90s CCM stuff, like the really, really great stuff, which I'm still a huge fan of. Um, uh, especially guitar work of those guys back then. And he's like, man, you just moved here 20 years too late, you know? Because, <laughs> I, I mean, at 37, you know, you're all you're already coming into a market where you're, especially in the country, you're playing for younger girls. Yeah. And anything older than that, you look like cre- creepy dad on stage, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> you know and in my, now it's like creepy grandpa, you know? <laughs> and uh, and so, I mean, we, we moved down to Spring Hill, and we probably lived there about nine months before we moved to East Nashville. But when I got here, I was just – and then another really good friend who's still a dear friend of mine, uh, Justin Ostrander, who has just completely killed it now, is probably one of the top session guys in town. We worked a lot together. And, I, you know, he'd do something and get me on or whatever. And so I started getting into the mix that way. But, you know, having the studio in Seattle, I, I didn't do session stuff at this level by any means. But I never got to tour because that wasn't Seattle's right. thing. So I wanted to move here just to tour, and that was what my focus was. I didn't, you know, I didn't really ever say I'm going to tour. Like Justin was like, I'm, I'm going to tour for, you know, he he worked up through the, I think, David Nail. And when he was done playing with David, he's like, I just want to, you know, well, at, at that time I don't think that they had kids, but I want to work sessions. And, and that was a, you know, that's a big jump, mm-hmm. giving up all your road stuff and just yeah. trying to jump in it. But he did it, and Justin's amazing. And, uh, but I just wanted to be a, a touring guy. So at that point in time, I was just taking anything. I would take anything to get out and play. <laughs> so it was like a priority for you to really use your, you know, you wanted to play guitar no matter what. So I know that you say you moved in here. Well, you moved to Nashville at 37 years old. I guess most people would kind of, I don't want to say give up on their dream or anything like that, but they kind of would look for the more secure uh, way of doing yeah, things. Yeah, what I did was just kind of flop because I had a career, and I had a really successful career. Right. You know, and so, and when I got here, I there was t- there were years, a few years, where I really didn't do much of that, but some of those years, I was consulting for companies, and I'd be on the bus with my laptop. Right. And I'd, I'd be I mean, a- I think you did that even when we were out. I mean, yeah. there'd be times... You- 
Oaks would disappear, and you'd find him somewhere in the back of the bus on his laptop. Yeah, right. I'd be up on a conference call in the front of the bus with the driver. And so I was, I, I mean, and that was my way to be like, hey, I can do this. But like telecom money is way better than music money, <laughs> you know, or just sales money at, at that level, the level that I was at. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of things that are better than music money. Music money. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think working at White Castle is better these days. Than <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, but I think when I first got here, I just tried to focus on that, you know, but as, as time went on, I was like, hey, you know, I think the first year I, in Nashville, I made $15,000, mm. 2007 or 2007 to 2008. I mean, that's a lot of playing for songwriters yeah. at Caney Fork for 25 bucks or 50 bucks, yeah. being Ostrander, just trying to get through number charts, you know, uh, back then. But, and then, and then, you know, and then it got better. I played for, for more people, but when the Point of Grace, Mark Schultz gig came up, I did that. And then from there, I just moved more into the country stuff. Yeah. You know, and then I just played for. Well, you got to move, got to move towards the money. Got to, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. I mean, no, no hate towards CCM, but yeah. uh, the dollars are slightly greener. And that, and the, back then when I was, you know, the before those next four or five years, you could still make okay money, okay money playing. <laughs> you know, now it's just, yeah. you know. You know it's just a lot less. It's the, tough. It's tough out there for it, a player. It, it's tough out there for players, and everybody is really great. You know, I, th- I think that when, you know, I can go on to like I was in my studio today looking up something, a uh, way to play around a chord progression on something, and go on YouTube, blah 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 blah. You mm-hmm. know, and all of a sudden there's some, you know, seven year old kid from <laughs> Vietnam that can play better than I can ever play. You know, and <laughs> so but, you, but but there's all these just unbelievably talented people out there now. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's a, there's this a very strict delineation between, for me, between an amazing player and then somebody that can work in an industry. Right. Right. There's, there's a big difference, you know. Well, I feel like there's players and there's musicians, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and I think it's exactly that. You can play really well, but can you do all these other things? Yeah. Can too? you, can you be, you know, can you deal with management? Can you be asked to play something that you don't want to play or it's hard mm-hmm. for you to play or you just don't like to play it or you know yeah. or and that's just part of being a professional in this industry you know you have to su- there's a lot of times you have to suck up a lot of things but that's okay because that's what when you sign it says yeah i'll take the gig you know you yeah you kind of have to yeah and have to do that but yeah you have to pay your dues you have to pay your dues yeah and just be a good person a you know good guy it's funny that the more people we, we interview like being a good person and just relationships <laughs> with everybody is basically like the the most important thing it's the cornerstone i mean i i think and i think we'll see that as a common thread with the more people we talk to it really is the common thread Mm -hmm. just don't be a jerk yeah like it it, 90 percent of this is don't be a jerk Mm -hmm. uh because it is so relational um you know looking you know if we look at your career everything is well you know i worked with this person and then they you know i met this person and we and they if, recommend you, you know. Right. I mean, and if you're a jerk, that doesn't happen. You no. don't get recommended again. And so it really is you you climb the ladder in this business by getting along with people. Yeah. Right at the end of the day. I mean, everybody, you know, there's a limit for everything, but I think for the most part, as long as you can well, get I mean, along I mean, with I mean, and if you if you have moved here and you get any gig that's any that is has any kind of a name to it, especially a label gig, you know, and you can stick with that for a bit. You're a, you're a good player then. I mean, if you get to the point where you get asked and you can keep a gig, mm-hmm. you know, then you're 
then you can really play because there's there's I mean playing is a given. Right. There's a lot of guys that are just unbelievable players but wouldn't make it through a you know longevity here just because they're not fun to be around or yep. you know yeah. or they get they drink drink too much and get belligerent with somebody or just kind of dumb stuff, right? But yep. the people that really have a great career here are people that can play because at that level really everybody can play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's the longevity here is being a person that is that everybody says, I just want to be around that person. They're just a yeah. lot of fun. You know, they they work well with everybody. You know? and it's, I mean, it's literally almost word for word. Uh, we we just had the LD from Corn on mm-hmm. and we asked him about it. It was literally almost word for word. It's, you know, do I want to hang out with you again? Yeah. Like, yeah. Then I want those people on tour with me. Yeah. That's yeah. I do I if you don't have some place to go to Thanksgiving, am I going to be embarrassed if you come to my house? Yeah. You know, you know. Wow, I like that. One. You know, That's kind of a, a thing. Great, so, yeah. you know, it's the, those are the kind of people that you want to be around. Yeah. And and, you know, I I've got this long trail of relationships of here in this town of people that I just really enjoy. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. But, it, but there's just a lot of great players. You know. Well, I so. mean, to your point, it's a given. Like mm-hmm. like that, it's almost not even a checkbox. Like if you get that call, we have already assumed. Yeah. That you are a great player. Yeah. So now, can you fill out the rest of that? Well, and, and I think for me too, it's like you know. You know, there are, there are gigs that I had that there were people that were much better players than I was or I will ever be. You know, I mean that's, I mean there's people that that that's all they've done their entire lives is play guitar. That was not me. You know, right? You know, I mean I, I when I was should have been a you know practicing in my bedroom I, I was on a corporate jet to paris you, you, you know <laughs> well <laughs> you know, no, meaning that that like i had this this great career and and got to these fun things but there's there were people that just that's all they've ever wanted to do is just play guitar and it shows yeah you know and so so i i, w- I think i was really fortunate to have some people to create some good relationships and i could play you know, really well when I moved here, but the relationships is kind of what helped me get here and get gigs and then become even a much better player, you know. So. And he doesn't suck. I've heard him play. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty passable. <laughs> for the stuff that I've heard. <laughs> but, yeah. So going back to the tours, like, which is one that you is the most memorable for you, the one that you've had the most uh, enjoyable experience but at the same time, I know every tour has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, which one for you has been the most enjoyable? Well, I think that the – well, there's a couple of them. The first one that I did with Point of Grace Girls and Mark was great because it was my first big tour. I, okay. I, I think that that was just fun um, to do. Just I think the f- first tour was just something that was a good one, you know, with buses and trucks and, and everything, and that was really fun. I think that um, musically um, – I played one of the funnest things I did is I played for Jed Hughes and Sarah Buxton and Buxton Hughes. Sarah's both of them are unbelievable artists in their own right. Jed's just a phenom of a guitar player. Sarah's a phenom of a writer. They're both great writers and they had a Dan Huff put together or told me I should do a duo called Buxton Hughes. And so we did that for a while, but just being behind them playing guitar and listening to them do what they do um, every night was pretty was pretty amazing. The funny story about that uh, tour 
um, or those dates that we did um, is, is that my son was learning to skateboard and went over in East Nashville at the time. I took him to Rocket Town, you know, yeah. to skateboard. And I was like, hey, he had a half pipe there. And he says, I, th- I think that I could, I'm going to go try it. So I got him to skate, skateboard. I used to skateboard as a kid. And went up and got halfway around the turn and one foot went one way and the, and the other foot stayed. Ooh. And and I, I, my son was old enough to drive a car if he had to. He's probably 13. Um, you know, the couple miles home, because I, I almost didn't get home, but I was in a boot most of those gigs, <laughs> one of those big boots up on stage here playing for, for Jed and Sarah. So musically, I think that um, that was a great gig. As far as um, the, the coolest thing I done pro- have done is probably the, the tour I did with Paul Brandt in 2019. Mm. Um, if people don't know who Paul Brandt is, he would be considered kind of a within the Trisha Yearwood range the um uh you know alan jackson that kind of era of yeah. 90s country but uh, but up in canada he's superstar mm. um uh, and that was a big too we were playing arenas and it was cold we were it was about <laughs> five and a half weeks in the winter time uh. up in canada yeah i mean it was just it was miserably cold but as far as the um as playing for paul first of all is an um, unbelievable human being most of his time now is spent combating human human trafficking up in Canada with a okay. organization oh, wow. called Not In My City. So if you go up to the bathrooms and like some of the airports, you'll see a yellow rose. That's a, a, a safe place for people to come that are being trafficked. And oh. so Paul has got a really ha- a great heart for helping yeah. helping that. But but just the immensity of that tour is something that I had not done. Like I never, I never had landed, uh, you know, um, l- like a huge gig. I never, you know, got... And it was never like a Carrie or a Luke or a Jason Aldean or some of those. You know, I played for a lot of artists that were not quite at that level. And so when we did Paul's tour, I mean, our first our first re- on-tour rehearsal was in an arena. And, and that was just fun because as a kid, going to see these shows, and I was like, man, I just want that to be me. And so, and that, funny, that was the last tour that I did before covid and now yeah. with situations a little bit different for my wife and I now, so touring isn't really an option at this present time. Um, we take care of my mom. She lives on our property, and and so we spend um, some time making sure that my mom's okay. And uh, But that was just super fun. I mean, you know, getting to play Roger's Place in front of 25,000 yeah. people is just, Well, you know, it's, it's a, and we've talked about this before, it's, there's a, it, it's like a drug, you know, it that, is. that feeling when you're, you know, it's it's the reverse for us. It's me standing at a front of house, you know, on a front of house stage, and you just kind of look out, and it's, you know, you hear all these people stomping their feet. Yeah, and you can't see anybody. I, I remember uh, my friend Sean Tubbs, who's, uh, you know, one of the best guitar players I've ever heard. When he was with Kerry, he just said, you just got to smile at the exit signs, exit li- <laughs> on, the, on the third, yeah, on the third level, because you have no, no, you know, spatial awareness of anybody about 50 feet out yeah and so that's I, my fault usually yeah yeah thanks yeah <laughs> for all the times i walked off the front of the stage yeah um but uh but yeah playing for the big especially when sound is right well and there's almost like an electricity like you don't you almost don't need to see the people because you can you can feel that level of energy in yeah. a room when you're in an arena that size yeah, when when that many people are, are screaming or singing mm-hmm. Alberta bound, you know the whole place is you know singing along with Paul. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. That w- that was really fun. So like with so many 
um, people, or kind of like the first times you did that in front of so many people, playing in front of so many people, um, did it ever get to you, like, in the first couple of times? Like, oh, man, this is a lot of people. I don't know. Maybe mess up a couple chords. Or it was just kind of like an innate thing that you were just ready for. No, I, I never, that never really was a, I never really got a, ever got nervous doing that. I mean, when I was playing for Danny, we, we opened CMA Fest. That was it. It wasn't Nissan then, whatever it was before. Oh, uh, was it Oilers? Or, uh. No, what was the stadium before? It was Nissan Stadium. Yeah, it was know. something. LP. LP, LP Field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played LP. I don't know why I said and that was like, whatever, <laughs> 50,000. And that was the biggest crowd I've ever played. I did, I, I, I played on Good Morning America with Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. Uh, okay. And that was That's a couple hundred million. And so I was probably more nervous than that because I realized that everybody. But like the 25 people in the studio. <laughs> yeah, well, as a, yeah, a Central yeah. Park, right? You know, at the GMA stage or whatever. But um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you're right. There is this kind of sense of just this immensity mm-hmm. of it. And being able to go on and realizing when you're playing something, you got a lot of people watching you, you know. And, I, you know, I mean, I always tried to play the perfect show where I didn't. Where everything was perfect, and I don't. I mean, every so, always something little happens. Oh, you yeah. know, it's it's um, never goes as planned. It, yeah, I mean, it's there's just all, and that that's making music with people. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not like a studio and and where, where you have more control and and even this town you know moves through songs so fast in studios. You know, I, I my session world was a little bit more of the LA mentality where you took a little bit more time to it than Nashville. Um, yeah, just how I approach what I do now a little bit more so, but um. Yeah, it, there's nothing like getting, especially sometimes like if you're lucky enough where you don't have to have ears because I'm not a big fan of ears, never have been. That's just because I'm old. <laughs> you pull an ear out and you can hear this juke mm-hmm. on guitar and you can hear it bounce off the back wall and the further away that back wall is, the better. You just feel yep. like you're playing for Queen back in the 70s. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's a drug. Like I, <laughs> This is the only way to describe it. Is mm-hmm. it's, it's a drug that I have... I have yet to find a replacement for. Yeah. And I think I think it'll always be that way. Um, what I don't miss is loading in to hockey arenas yeah. in winter. Well, I mean, the, that hour that you play or the half an hour, whatever, you, it is the best. It, but touring the rest of that time <laughs> can be awfully brutal. It's it's boring. Especially in winter in Canada. We did I did a uh, like a November run where we went all from West Coast to East Coast. Yeah. And that was Brutal. We did it in January. <sighs> wow. We were in Regina one uh, one day, and uh, it was minus sixty without the wind chill. It was the coldest place Jeez. on Earth, and colder than the sunny side of Mars. Jeez. <laughs> and and the, like the the the, the diesel uh, the the scrubber on the bus broke. Oh man! It, it was so cold, so you you couldn't and your eyes would freeze. <laughs> and and that, it was it was cold, but still, you know, it's it's. You know, there's just a lot of those times in those. And those people will still show up. That's the crazy thing is they'll still show up in droves for that show. Yeah. Everybody's wearing like $4,000 worth of parkas, you know. (laughs) I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's the, I felt bad for the crew because, you know, y'all were getting, you know, it's like six o'clock, you're off the bus. And, yep. you know, and, Filling it. and then you guys were eating what's left of the pizza when you get back on at 11, <laughs> the bus rolls at midnight. Yeah, and yeah. All of us are like, I don't know. What do you want to do today? I don't know. Is there a football on? Yep. <laughs> what can we go see today? Yeah. Different side of the tour. Do we have runners? Yeah. yeah, is, yeah. There, is there a mall? <clears throat> are there, are there showers? Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Um, you know, as, um, 
you know, playing guitar or music is your craft. Is there any other, were you always musical? Is it like, did you start out with a different instrument or it was just kind of like, uh, I played a guitar and this was just it. Yeah. I, yeah. That was it. I mean, it was uh, all of my family. There was no musicians in my family. They were all Boeing engineers. Mm. Everybody that was a, male in my family worked at Boeing being at, being from Seattle mm-hmm. both my grandfathers my dad and stepdad everybody my mom um and I'm not even sure where I remember getting home from school and just could not wait to see if I could get unchained on rotation on MTV to see Eddie play <laughs> you know and 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 I still can't really play any Van Halen stuff it's like that was not my musical guitar influence per se but but the respect I had for those guys, yeah. the Alex Life and Rush, you know, the ACDC stuff, Maiden, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, when the wall came out with Pink Floyd and that guitar solo was just like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And so then I just wanted to play guitar. I had nothing about getting girls. and I was only fifth grade. Right. You know, <laughs> um, I just wanted to play guitar. In fact, I, you know, in, in college, I had a band and uh, we never dated all through college until I met my wife as a senior year because we were just too busy playing music. So I always just wanted to play guitar. Yeah. yeah love, that's cool. love guitars. Yeah. Yeah. So are there like, um, even when you went on tour, um, I know there's a lot of downtime and stuff like that. We Mm -hmm. were talking about, is there any like, um, do you like practice on a daily basis or was it like, you know, it was just like your innate thing. Like what, what things did you do to kind of keep up with that? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just keeping your fingers, especially when it's cold, Mm -hmm. you know, you really kind of have to spend some time. You know, I remember before on every, uh, uh, on Paul's tour, the other guitar player, Jeff Sin, who makes unbelievable guitars, lives in town, Sin guitars. Jeff would probably play for an hour just, you know, just keeping the fingers warm. And I didn't do it that long, but it's just that regimen of just... Like before they even went on... Oh, yeah, you have to when it's cold. You've got to get your... Because sometimes you walk on to, you know, if the stage was... Even when we had this, our stage was huge, but most time we were still on ice that was yep. covered, right? And it was just it was just cold. But... But even on the other tours, it's just good to try to learn something and, you know, um, if you can. But I didn't, I didn't do it all the time. I know there's people that go out on tour and they're, they're just, that's all they'll do during the daytime is sit with the guitar in the back lounge or something like that. Bunch of nerds. Bunch of nerds. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you noticed as like a trend, um, you know, especially being here in, um, in Nashville since uh, you moved here? Like as far as like the, the music goes, like what have you noticed as time goes on, well, I mean, I, I think there's 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 probably no like big secret of where some of the frustration is with country music, you know, um, uh, you know, it's the simplicity of it. Um, I think is still kind of pervasive. You know, I think yeah. that there's you have some standouts, the Sturgills of the world or the Staplesons, or and, and there's there's just there's a lot of of great artists, but you know, with with the whole way that people are re- are releasing. And this is just my perspective, of course, but releasing singles right now instead of real records, you know, you might be, you might do a gig, but you know, a single may not get you very far. And yeah. So you might do a small run, and then after that's done, you're just trying to find the next, the next thing. Yeah. You know, where when I was out there, records were still being out there, so you might play for an artist, and you may not have a ton of dates, but you you know you'd be playing for the next year. Well, you'd play that album cycle. Yeah, you play that right. Right, and and that's just, that's not the way that I see it, you know, anymore. You have, um, you know, the rarities like Morgan Wallen, right? Yeah. And he's uber talented, and he's got some actually really pretty darn cool songs. And to me, he's a little bit of a rarity, but 
you know, getting on gigs like that is, you know, is is difficult to find to find a great artist that that has got more than just a single. Like I think this whole album is singles or whatever, something crazy. You know, uh, but otherwise you're just kind of. And I was going from gig to if I was down, I'd be trying to find something just to keep right. you, know, you know the bills paid back then. But it seems to be even more difficult and i think that the level of musicianship has gone up as well i think also because of things like youtube where mm -hmm. the the learning curve has been is a lot yeah you know, that barrier to entry it, is not there like yeah there's there's some pretty ridiculous players there that are in this town at this point in time well i mean because i even if you know you look back even in the early days of the internet if you want to learn how to play guitar, you were still going to get lessons. You know, th there was there was a financial barrier to entry. Uh -huh. It wasn't just, you know, do you have an instrument? It was like, okay, cool, you have an instrument, but now you now you. I mean, you it, it was it was back in the tape player up. It was mm -hmm. listening to a CD and really not being able to stop it, or mm -hmm. you know, until you know the computer came out where you could, you know, or you know, iTunes came out where you could kind of stop the bar and learn something. It was a, a whole lot more difficult to learn that stuff. Yeah, you know. But I mean, to your point now, it's like you can, you can look up any song on YouTube, and you will find someone teaching you how to play it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even, yeah. even the even the the super dip, you know, some of this Polyphia and some of these guys that these guitar players are coming out now are just, you know, Julian Assange are just mind blowingly technical. Yeah, and and can pull the stuff off live, which is a whole nother thing. You know, there's a lot of players that can you can watch on YouTube, but then you watch these guys play it live, and you're like, I don't even know how that's physically possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. And, but that's just the ability of, of, first of all, people really trying to take the instrument to a, a completely different place, and there there is a lot of that out there right now. But that's that's not those those aren't the guys that are trying to get the gig playing for Kelsey Ballerini, right? right. Or yeah. Morgan Wallen or yeah. whatever. You know, those are guys that are. That are that want to be in the touring thing, want to do the big tours, and they're and most still everybody is great, great yeah. players. No, that's true. Yeah. So, are, are there any like uh, specific guitarists that you were? I know you, you mentioned some uh, some of the bands that you listened to, but there are there any guitarists? Oh that yeah, just totally. Like, oh man, I just yeah. I grew up. Um, I, I grew up listening to. Um, you know, early on, it was the it was the rock stuff. It was ACDC, mm. you know, Back in Black, so one of my favorite records. Fleetwood Mac Rumors, those two records are probably my two favorite records for very different reasons. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, listening to the CCM stuff um, uh, early on, it was for sure Jerry McPherson, who's still a you know, mm -hmm. he's always been just a, a, a stalwart here in this town. Gordon County with some of the Susan Ashton stuff. Um, uh, and then the L.A. stuff was a huge influence on me, like when Dan Huff moved to L.A. and started doing all that. But he was doing the CCM stuff here, you know, mm. uh, su super, super young. So it was Dan, but the L.A. guys, guys probably my biggest influence is Michael Landau. Mm. Um, and if you're a guitar player, you know who Landau is. Uh, but he was just a session guy back in the, the time with the big racks. Yeah. I, mm. I still have one. I'm still always adding to it. That's just what that's kind of home base for me. But my point was is it was mostly those session guys it was the ccm guys jerry gordon dan here in this town and then it was landau steve lukather i'm still a giant toto fan <laughs> you know it, it's those guys that are you know are the guys that i i still go back and listen to how they yeah. did stuff because it's it's you know the level the level that they played at back then was just something was something else well it's know? like the 
like the late eighties, nineties and CCM was, I think that was a point in time where CCM was not lagging behind. Yeah, you the, know, the, the really worship cool stuff. and the worship music hadn't hit. I think that that's kind of like like Nirvana killed pop. I think the worship music, yeah. you know, kind of killed a lot of like if you go back and listen to listen to Dan Huff play guitar and Michael W. Smith's The Big Picture or Eye to Eye, right? Yeah. L- listen, listen for how just the sheer virtuosity or or, or some of Dan's solos on Matthew Ward's uh, Armed and Dangerous record. The, he was he was one of the members of the Second Chapter of Acts, and then you listen to, you know. Tales from the Bulge, which is Michael Landau's first solo record, which is almost like hallowed ground for most guitar players. Just yeah, un- unbelievable. You know, where on those records too, you know, you weren't, you didn't have like a hundred and twelve, hundred and twenty tracks where mm. you know if you muted five of the keyboard parts, it wouldn't make any difference in the mix. Right. You know, it's just it, it's kind of like. You look at a waveform on that stuff, it looks like, like Hitler's mustache. There was like no, it was just one black line, you know, and on those records were so good because there just wasn't that yeah. much going on. L- listen to Cuts Like a Knife by Brian Adams. There's like four guys, five yep. guys playing that stuff. And so when, when you hear that lick from Cuts Like a Knife, it's like, man, that's a pretty simple lick, but it's epic. Yep. And, and it sounds so good, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's funny. You mentioned Michael W. Smith. I love a bunch of that stuff from, mm-hmm. you know, the late 80s, early 90s because, because they were epic records. Like, yeah. they were just big. Yeah. Like, everything was big, but there wasn't, it wasn't noisy. No. You know, it and, was, and you can hear everything. Like, you know, you, you, you listen to that stuff and listen to, like, the hand of Providence. I think that's off eye to eye. And everything had its place in the mix. And you could hear, you could hear um, a little guitar part, and then you could actually hear the reverb on that guitar mm-hmm. part on a side. Mm. Um, and, and now, it's just it's kind of oatmealish, yeah. You know, and, and back then you like you know you could listen to Dan play those those parts, and you could hear what he would. You could actually hear what he was using. I, I think that was that Rev Seven patch. You know, yeah. You know, it, it, you had that ability to to hear that stuff. And and we it, music these days, you know, it doesn't matter if you're playing through an amp or a, a pedal direct in. There's just so much in these mixes that it's it just doesn't have the same. Still um, to me, and it was interesting because if you listen to a lot of those records, where like you said, they sounded big because you had the the onset of the of 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 tape, mm-hmm. right? Tape machines, which are inherently punchy, but then you also had sequencing these sequencing machines that were very punchy just in nature, and so those two things together. You know, listen to uh, Lamu off of the big picture, Mike's, Michael's, that epic record he had. And th- when all those keyboards came in, it's just like if everything just sound. And, th- and the louder you turned it up, the bigger it sounded. Yeah. It wasn't like it, you, you turned it up and it just was, you, you started losing stuff. And here, man, it's like, listen to that snare, you know, a great snare. And those records were mixed sometimes yeah. about 10, a l- little bit above the vocal. And so why does stuff rock so hard? Because like, there's not as much in there and... Well, it's it's the less is more mentality. Oh, yeah. totally, hundred percent. I mean, listen to Back in Black. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I mean, like three chords. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just but it's it still it, rocks. And, and when you crank that stuff up, it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, at loud volumes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so if somebody was gonna come up in this industry and they're like, ah, oh, man, I want to be, you know, I love playing my guitar. I want to go on tour. I want to play for these big names. What's something that you would 
Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that, that move from Seattle to Nashville because, you know, they always say that your environment influences and it could take away or either either take away or add on um, and make you more of a, a master of your craft. So what advice would you give to somebody that wants to, you know, um, kind of do what you did and tour with these big names and, and play their instrument? I, I mean, I think that some people will reach out and a lot of times I say, make sure that you make sure that your love for music doesn't get diluted by the difficulty of being a musician here. Mm. And if that means getting a job, right, it means doing something. So you have, so you can, especially if you're married, you get married and have kids. That, that, that's a whole different dynamic than just being here and being single. Yeah. Right. You know, and to make sure that first of all, you're, 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 fulfilling your responsibility to your family, you know? Um, and if that means getting a job and, and working your way in until you can do that, then do so. Right. Right. Um, you know, if you're single and moving here, that's a whole different ball game, but I mean, it, it really comes back to the relationships. It comes back to creating relationships that are genuine because you can tell people that, when you call it like networking, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm not really crazy about that word because the connotation is, is like, I'm just going to network yep. and <laughs> try to meet a whole bunch of people that I really don't care about. I'm just trying to say, hey, man, if you're here for anything, which is like, what, that's like getting the hole when you're watching golf. It's like, ah, oh, just don't yeah. say that, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I think that getting and getting in those circles, but now you also have to be, to, to rise above the din here, you have to be a pretty unbelievable player, yeah. I, I, I think. You know, I, I think that there's, um, because there's so few gigs anymore. Like you can forget about the CCM stuff because that wasn't. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not even so. So, and that was a huge part of Nashville, right? So now we're more into the, the the commercial side is country. I mean, you've got some rock here. There's for sure. I mean, you know, the Cinderella guys are here, and you know, there's you I mean, know, there's, there's a bunch of rock guys here, but it's weird because a lot of it doesn't leave out of here. You know what right. I mean? It, mm. You know, they're they're all here. They live here. And, and that's still a, f- a fairly small cadre of people, yeah. right? I mean, you know, a lot of those guys kind of interchange. And so country is the only thing where if you have a new artist coming up, you can get on some of these, these things. But I would be, you know, if you're going to be prepared to jump around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, you get on a run of dates of s- seven or nine dates, and that just might be it for that artist. And so you always really, it's, it's, and I don't, if if I were to do it now, I'm not even sure I would know how to how to approach it. Like I was I was lucky because when I first moved here, Mark believed in me, and he at that point in time he was Carrie's musical director. That was the Jesus Take the Wheel days, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, Mark really helped me. And once I got that that gig, that kind of, you know, I mean, at, at that point in time, a lot of the guys in Carrie's first rendition of the band were my good friends, and some of them are still some of my best friends, and and they really helped me get started so but coming in here now you know it's not as always easy to I I was for I was blessed to have some people that I knew that wanted to help me yeah Yeah. you know and so I'm coming in these days it's just trying to get connected is is difficult well it's I think to whether people like it or not budgets will always play a role and because of I won't say oversaturation, but due to the saturation of really good players, mm-hmm. um, you know, budget 
the budgets will sneak up on you. And so that's why you're going to end up jumping around at some of these times too, is you may be getting paid what you're worth, but there may be somebody willing to do it cheaper because they're newer and they're just well, as good. And the problem with that is, is that I, I remember I was asked to be an MD for, and I'm not going to go into who it was, but now the artist is huge. And it was, when I was asked to do it, it was, it was 150 a show, <laughs> not a day. <laughs> yeah. And it was a lot of dates. It was, you know. Even a lot of dates. That's a, that's a rough number. That's a rough number to make work and pay bills and, yeah, but, you know. but but if you're making 100, you know, that's 15,000 bucks for 100 shows, it was something like that, right? And wow. I'm like, I mean, it, it, and, and, and that's pretty hard to make work. And the problem, mm. the problem was somebody took that gig, and it wasn't me because I was making way more on the stuff that I was doing. Yeah. And I didn't have to be gone as much. And so right. it's like, well, I could, let's say I was making yeah. 400 bucks a gig or whatever, you know, which still is not that much. <laughs> you know, I mean, but the problem is that people come in and what they're doing is they're cannibalizing their own future. Yeah. Mm. Right. Because that just means you start getting a gig and somebody else that's as good or better or not as good as you necessarily comes in and takes that gig. And when that happened, that was four or five years ago. And now that that's commonplace. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I have a standard from what I, you know, at this point in time, uh, what I'm willing to, to take for it, unless yeah. it's somebody like I really want to play for, and maybe then I'll just, you know. You know well, I mean, it's, it. it's, it's the same on the other end. I, I had a number. If you wanted me to get off the couch, there yeah. was a number. Yeah. Uh, unless, you know, there were there were some tours. I mean, Mark actually was one of those that I, I did a couple of runs with Mark that I would have not gotten off the couch Mm-hmm. for that number but it was i got to hang out with you i got to hang out with mark there were you know there were yeah there were reasons it's like yeah you know this is three weeks whatever i'm i'm mm-hmm. fine doing that but yeah. i think that's the other thing i think when you in this business you have to decide what you are worth yeah um otherwise it's very easy to be taken advantage of yeah well and i i see a lot of like when i played it um I was playing with Rita Wilson um, at CMA this year, uh, the actress and Tom Hanks' wife. And Rita is unbelievably sweet, um, and I've done some stuff with her. Last three three CMAs I've played with Rita. And I see a lot of, you know, we'll play, we played the Dr. Pepper stage this year, and I see a lot of guys that are coming on stage that I see, oh, they work at a cigar store, or they, yeah. you know, which, which I applaud them, because first of all, I listen to these guys playing, like, well, you're, you know, you, you cover the gig great. Play the parts, you sound great. But, you know, they're trying to hold down the fort somewhere else. Yep. Because I think in the past, you used to be able to come to this town and be like, ah, I think I can make this work. You know, mm-hmm. you could make three or 400 bucks a show, get enough shows playing for enough different artists. Even if you're making 250 Right. You know, you can piddle enough of that together when Nashville had not blown up here, and, and you could still, still do it. I don't know how people do it now. That's why I say, you know, Get a, get a job. I, I, I mean, a, a good friend of mine now um, plays. Uh, um, uh, oh, I forgot the guy's name. Um, the artist. Um, anyway, he was he went out and got his license to cut hair, be a barber, mm. and then, and then, um, he got this gig, and now it's now you know they're doing stadium tours. But that was something that he fell yeah. into. But he was smart enough to be like, hey, 
as long as this is going to last, it's my friend Mark DeJanes. Okay. Um, uh, I was, um, he was the bass player that I hired when I was band leader for Post Monroe, which was Whitney Duncan's, um, she, uh, one of the girls in that band. And, and, and he, um, gosh, I can't remember the artist name that he plays for. Um, he, both him and his brother, Luke, Luke plays drums, great producer in town, and Mark plays bass. But before Mark got that gig, you know, he was, he was looking at, he got his license to, that hair and, he, and Mark is sweet, sweet guy. In which I was like, I'm just going to ride this as long as I can. And that's the gr- that's the attitude that you need to have here. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever I can, but I'm gonna make sure that I, I can take care of business as well. And luckily, you know, this the gig yeah. worked out for him. But he's like, I'm as long as this lasts, it's great. But he has he's smart enough to have. Something else. Something else, yeah. It's funny. Uh, my wife just worked on a short film, and one of her her actors, same thing. He he wanted to be an actor, but he wanted that flexibility, so he went and got his uh, his barber license, too. And that yeah. was kind of his thing was, you know, it gives me the flexibility to do what I need to do, yep. uh, but I can still make money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super smart because then you can be like, I, I think I enjoy playing guitar more now than I have in a long time because now I'm doing stuff that only – that I want, I want to do. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, as I said, I'll be 55 this year. It, it, at some point in time, you know, you, with any job, you either, you either retire or you get let go. There's, mm-hmm. there's only two yeah. things in there. And, it, and it's really no difference here in music. You know, at some point in time, you get old enough um, where you just don't want to play anymore. You've had a great career or you just stop getting called. I just don't, you get called anywhere near as much as I used to, but again, my situation in life has changed a little bit. But I'm okay with that. I've had it. I've had an unbelievable career in this town. Like it's just been, it's been I, a dream. I think that's kind of the goal, though, right? Like at the oh, end yeah. of it, the goal is to, I, I just want to do the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like if if I can if I can survive and be comfortable, and I just do the gigs that I want to do. I think that's kind of like the yeah. ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. You're not having to work to get by. I'm not. I'm not doing these crap gigs because I need it to pay my electric bill, mm-hmm. but I'll go out and do this gig because I, I want to. You know? Yeah, or, I, or yeah. like I'm really enjoying working on learning some things in guitar that I didn't take the time to learn when I was younger. I really enjoy that. Mm. You know, um, I always look, the way that I want my career and really life in general, I remember in Lord of the Rings and Return of the King when Legolas, at the last battle, Legolas was climbing that elephant, right? Mm. Take it, you know, to try to take it down. Yeah. He, he came up, and he, he killed the beast, and he slides off the trunk. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's come down, and the, and the whole thing falls. He, the, your career falls, and you're just off there with yeah. your nice, long, blonde hair. And thinking, <laughs> I'm a badass. And, then, and that's really So cool. are you getting extensions? Is, it, is this where this is going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that, what a great, you know. What, no, what, it, what, is. What, what is, it That's how I want to, you know, that's how I kind of want to end all this is be like, ah, that was great. I did my job. Yeah, I'm coming off this thing, and I feel good. And and who knows what kind of opportunities, you know, good Lord will provide or whatever. But I think I'm just grateful at this point to have done what I've done here, coming here later in life. You yeah. know, being able, playing on records with my heroes, producing records and hiring my heroes, playing yeah. on shows with my heroes. I mean, it's like you would somebody would have told me in 2005 living in Seattle that I would have done some of this stuff. I've been like, no way. Right. Well, you know. I, I think I think that's the the takeaway for me, you know, in this conversation is 
you can you can have this massively fulfilling career and check all these boxes and not not do the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. it's not about doing the biggest thing. It's about that journey in between. How you know where I started from, how I got there. Did I did I do kind of all these other things? Did I mm-hmm. you know check all these other boxes? I don't necessarily have to go do this international worldwide tour from to have a successful career. Right. It's like redefining the definition of success. Well, I, rem- I remember um, one of the the wisest things that, that were our, our, both of our friend Derek Wyatt. Oh, uh, yeah. Drummer here in Derek. town. Derek was great. Uh, died of Crohn's disease uh, years ago. I remember we were on the, on the, on the point of grace gig on the tour and we were at a, at a balcony up on the balcony, one show and, and, and Derek had played with Kelly Clarkson during the mm-hmm. breakaway. You know, Derek was like, he was amazing. He was an amazing player, but but he had world tours like yeah. gone for you know sixteen eighteen months at a time. Most humble to humble dude yeah. too. Like you would never never have known the places and people that he, that he had. That played he was with. such a rock star. Yeah. yeah, and he said, and he, and he had played SNL and the Grammys and just over and over again. And he said, you know what? But nobody cares. The only person that really cares about that is me. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, and maybe my folks that I did something. So at the end of the day, you know, you can all of this big stuff. You know, it, people just forget about. It. Nobody's going to know if you played the CMAs or the Grammys or. Yeah, I still have friends that hey, remember that time I saw you on Good Morning America? And it's like that's cool, but like yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I I'd much rather be considered a good husband, a good father. Yeah, you know those kind of a things. Right. You know. Right, right. The things that matter. Faithful follower yep. of God. Then, then I think that uh, all those other things—they're super cool. But I've also learned that you know that's yeah, it's almost know, fleeting. It, it's t- it's totally fleeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the no. things that matter. I, I, it's it's the same for me, and I think I struggled to learn that for a long time. You know, I I was chasing those things, and you you realize kind of all this other stuff that you're missing in the process because oh, you yeah you. you you can't be great at all things at all times. And so if you're chasing greatness and becoming, you know, and, the and, greatest at, and at what cost, because like, right. you know, greed and envy is, is real difficult when you're placing, placing those things about wanting to do this or wanting to do this gig in, above your family and the things that yeah. people that are counting on you. It's like, I, I was, you know, I might joke, I'm an only child of only children. And so I always joke that it really is all about me. <laughs> but, but the problem is that a lot of my life, it really was about yeah. me. And, and I, I, I just did not see, like, I wish I would have been there for, you know, if that's even with my corporate years traveling all the time. Yeah. You know, but, but I, that yeah. was also a little bit different generation too, where that's just kind of what you did. That was, right. my wife reminded me of that. Uh, we just celebrated 30 years on June 5th, and she and she said, you know, I, I regret. I told her I regretted a lot of that time being gone. He goes, but that's, you know, I was, I'm that Gen X where that was just that's what you, right. That was, that, that was what it was. Yeah, that was, and that was a good reminder. But these days, you know, we live in a pretty crazy world. I, another thing I tell guys is just make sure you're keeping, you know, like. Billy Crystal says, and City Slickers keep the main thing, the main thing. And mm-hmm. if your main thing is your family, or yeah, it's it's you know whatever. Just make sure that you're always honing in on that, and don't when don't I think, get sidetracked. I think it's important to know. I mean, if if you're in the middle of that now, you know, as we segue to the uh, 
mental health portion of this. <laughs> yeah, start getting yeah, really yeah. deep. Uh, I think the I think the thing to remember is if if you do kind of find yourself in the middle of that, is a lot of that is fixable, you know. Huh. But I think you have to realize it in time, and I think you have to come back and you have to work it. It's gonna suck, like to come back and fix some of that stuff because I, I total voice of experience, you know. Um, but you have to come back and face some of those demons. Like you did, you know, you chased that dream, you did it, you checked the boxes, but obviously, like you said, at what cost? So yeah. there are definitely some things that, yeah, what did you leave in the wake of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you got to come back and face those. You don't get to just forget they didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You got to come back and face it, but it is fixable. You know, you can come back and you can deal with that. Um, it, but I, I can tell you it's massively uncomfortable, uh, and sometimes it sucks. Yeah. But I think the payoff is worth it. Um, yeah. That's my two cents yeah, on that. I mean, Nashville leaves kind of a wake. Yeah. A, a wake of destruction in a lot of people here because, you know, what we inherently do of being a sideman or, you know, touring especially, you know, it's inherently a, a solitary thing because you can't take anybody else with you no. unless you're – you know, luckily like Thompson Square where you're married or, you know, yeah. Stapleton and his yeah. wife where that's, you can bring your kids on the road and, 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 and then make it a, just a giant camping trip out of it. But most people don't have that ability and you're gone for six months at a time. That's, that's rough. Well, I think that was a wake up call for me. It's like you start, you start seeing dudes and it's like, well, what number wife are you on? You know, yeah, absolutely. You know it's, it, it is hard to find a, a guy on the road or, or gal, I mean, it, it, it goes both ways. It's hard to find somebody on the road that has not already been divorced at least once. Yeah. Some of them multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. It's carnage. Just like watching the movie 300, but that's what touring looks like, yeah. you know, <laughs> oh, man. you know, it's, it, you know, it, there, it happens a lot. Yeah. And there are lots of positives, you know, there are lots of positives. It's, it, you know, there are things that I would have never got to do without doing that. Totally. Um, but I think you, and I think you've said it great multiple times, you, you just have to be aware of keep the main thing the main the thing. The main thing, yeah. You know, it, it really is. I think that's one of the most important things is. But that, that's a hard, that's such a hard lesson to learn when you're young and yeah. and you're looking at more of how can I advance mm-hmm. a career. And it, it, you find very few people that that are willing to walk away from it. Well, because I've done, I've done, I've gotten to hear. Why would I walk away now? Because right. I finally got into here, and it's just this step. What, so one little, more little, little step. A little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. If I could do this, I could do this, yeah. then I'd be really happy, and that's not yeah. where happiness comes from. But Yeah, yeah. yeah man. I mean, that, that's it's a counterintuitive approach where you think that all these things will bring you, you know, happiness, but at the end of the day, there is a cost, like you said. Yeah. You know, it's a big thing. But uh, as we uh, wrap this episode up, um, are there any last thoughts, uh, Kenny, on your side? No, I mean we got real, uh, real sappy there towards the end. Oh, so yeah. I think that'll maybe maybe that'll just start being our trademark. It's a nice reflective. I'm gonna go get in the car and have a have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be in the corner with our knees up to our chest in yeah. a second. Uh, no, I uh, Oaks. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the the last minute. Um, yeah. Please help me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the invite. Uh, yeah, no, had a good time talking. Yeah, and um, thank you for coming. And um, everybody, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, Brian, hopefully in the future we get to have you uh, again. And um, thank you for listening. And that's it. Make sure to tune in to the next episode of Tormageddon. Thanks, guys.